0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who is jamming in the garden with healthy, tasty fruits and vegetables. We're talking with returning guest Jason Johns about berries and brassicas. Jason is the author of Growing Brassicas and Berry Gardening, as well as many other gardening books, hoping to inspire people to take up gardening themselves and successfully grow their own delicious fresh fruits and vegetables. Jason is passionate about gardening, having grown his own produce for over 20 years. He started with a secondhand greenhouse and an eight by six patch of his mother's garden, and since then has worked his way through various allotments and gardens, growing everything from radishes to carrots to great Pumpkins. Welcome to the show today, Jason. It's great to have you back.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. It's great to be back and wonderful to be talking to you again. I'm uh, really pleased to be here.
0: So uh, we were just talking before we started recording about all of your books. and Yes. Uh, there You're an amazing, prolific writer, and I was excited to connect with you on your Growing Tomatoes books here a while back. And then I think we talked about your Vertical Gardening book. Tell us a little bit about your books before we jump in.
1: Right, yeah, well... I, as you've said I've written quite a few and what what I've been doing is I obviously I love gardening and I love sharing all this information with other people and I sort of hear something or start growing something or read something and think oh that's interesting start growing it and start experimenting and I think wow this is something that I'd love to share with other people and they turn into books so for example last year I started growing some berries and I planted some Uh, Red currants, white currants, black currants, gooseberries, blueberries, strawberries, and a whole load of other berries. And I thought, wow, these are really good. And then I started reading about the health benefits of them and realized that some of them are actually really, really good for you. So I thought, wow, that'd make a great book. Uh, Same with brassicas. I heard somebody recommend that uh, a top health tip was to eat more broccoli. And I thought, that's interesting. I wonder why. Um, I've always dabbled in growing some brassicas looked into them more found out about the wide range of of brassicas and plants i'd never realized were in the family it's all again really interesting but i've written on subjects i'm really passionate about like companion planting which is all about reducing your use of chemicals and being more environmentally friendly through through to things that are very very relevant to a lot of people like how to grow in containers and indoors and in small spaces which is obviously very very useful uh, if you oh, yeah. haven't got a large garden. Yeah, I, I just love to write and share share this information. And there's so many interesting subjects. And a lot of books are very general or very sort of broad. And I try to keep my books really focused on a topic. So if you want to grow pumpkins, for example, you don't need to wade through 300 pages about other stuff until you get to the 10 pages about pumpkins. You can right. just literally read about the pumpkins and get the information you want. So I try to keep everything very focused and make it very relevant to my my readers, so I very much appreciate.
0: Well, you're So I know how hard it is to write a book. I've written several of them. They're small, and you are a prolific writer. I mean, I'm, I've got your berry book here in my hand. It's a beautiful book, and it's well over 200 pages talking about growing berries. Tell me about it.
1: Well, it's, like you say, it's everything you need to grow berries from... What do the berry plants need? Uh, What sort of soil do they need? What tools do you need? All the way through to how to make sure that they produce a good crop, how to to grow a wide variety of berry plants, how to grow them in containers, in the greenhouse, in the ground, depending on where you are. Obviously, where you are, some berries will grow outside. But for our, our colleagues in Canada, they've perhaps got fewer options. But when I started writing, I thought, well, I could write about the normal berries like strawberries and blackberries but i thought there's lots of other interesting berries out there that people don't really appreciate or think about growing at home like uh, uh the cranberry Yeah, you know we we love that with our our thanksgiving and christmas meals but you can grow those at home very few people realize that really and yeah yeah they they just need a sort of a, a, almost a, a boggy damp area but that's easy to reproduce and you can grow them in your garden, and yeah, they produce a, a, a good crop after a few years. So yeah, there's lots of berries you can grow, or depending on where you live, some of these you can even forage for and find growing in the wild.
0: No, well, yeah, that and there's all kinds of berries that are wild harvested, right?
1: Well, yeah, uh, you, you've obviously got things like the um, blackberry, which is common, and um, you can find some wild strawberries, but. Then you've got, uh, in some areas, blueberries grow wild. You've got Saskatoon berries, bilberries, and lots of other things that grow, again, depending on where you are in the world. There's lots of different uh, berries that you can either cultivate, and often there are cultivated varieties, or there's the wild varieties uh, growing in your local hedgerow.
0: Nice. In your book, chapter one, is berry plant requirements. Talk to me about berry plant
1: requirements. Simply, all the berries have various requirements some need sort of a soggier soil some prefer drier soil blueberries like a a more acidic soil and they really because they're so acidic loving they need watering with rainwater rather than tap water, which is alkaline, but they need sun. So the, the idea is, is this chapter talks through the different aspects. So you can go into your garden and have a look at, well, how does the sun track across my garden? Because that could influence the type of berries that you can grow. You might have a very, very sunny patch, but half your garden's in shade. So trying to grow a berry that needs a lot of sun in a shady area is going to be a lot more difficult for you. And again, you've got to think about water requirements, food requirements. I mean, one of my my tips for watering your berry plants is I put a sort of two-inch diameter pipe into the ground at the root of the plants when I plant them, and then I water them through that. I I usually have a thick mulch on top to keep moisture in, Uh and then I water through this pipe, and the water goes straight to the roots of the plant, and it doesn't get stolen by weeds, and it just makes watering a lot more efficient.
0: Wow, that's a brilliant idea.
1: There's things like that. You've got to consider weeds as well because, obviously, weeds will compete with resources. And some berry plants grow a little bit slower than others, so you do need to make sure you keep the weeds down. So it's all about understanding the environment you have and then choosing the plants that are best suited for it.
0: When berries are typically a little bit more picky about the soil they're growing in. Some of them require acidic soil like blueberries and boggy soil like cranberries that we mentioned. So how does one go about figuring that out?
1: Uh, Well, to find out if it's boggy soil is fairly easy. You can stick your finger in the soil, but you can, if you dig in lots of organic matter like peat moss or compost and other stuff, you can make quite a a boggy area. But as to the acidity level, you just have to buy a, a soil tester kit or you can buy an electronic device that you stick in the ground, press a button, and it reads the pH level of the soil.
0: So that's a that's something that is a management process that we need to stay on top of is the yeah. soil health, probably more so than other gardening plants, right?
1: But particularly for some of them, th- those that tend to grow wild that aren't cultivated, they tend to be a bit more forgiving. But some of the cultivated varieties can be quite uh, sensitive. And sort of almost like divas in that you, they get very upset without the right environment. So, yeah, if you haven't got an acidic soil, for example, growing blueberries in the ground ends up being quite a lot of work mm-hmm. because you have to constantly acidify the soil. I mean, that's relatively easy to do, but it is work. Whereas if you have plants with very specific soil requirements, either in raised beds or containers, then it's much easier for you to manage the soil and make sure it's right for the plants that you're trying to grow.
0: And, you know, in this whole berry growing arena that you've done for the past years, what is one of the most interesting things you've found?
1: One of the things I I found that I do mention in the book is it's the Chilean guava berry, which is a relative of the blueberry. Some They can be found in shops. I think they're marketed as the Tassie Berry, and they're quite rare and very expensive, but they were really popular in Queen Victoria's time here in England, and vast areas of the southeast of the country was turned over to growing these because she loved them. And, of course, because the Queen was eating them, everyone else wanted them. And they're like blueberries in size and shape, but they're sort of more of a reddish colour and I, I think slightly sweeter. A much more delicate flavor. So they're quite interesting to grow.
0: And what are they called?
1: The Chilean guava berry.
0: Interesting. I've never seen that one before.
1: I saw it in the seed catalog and thought, I fancy trying that. So I, I they had them on special offer. So I ordered like 10 plants and uh, uh, didn't regret it.
0: <laughs> nice. Do you talk at all about mulberries in your book?
1: I do. I do talk about mulberries. I, I remember... Mulberries are quite rare. You you see them over here in stately homes. You can find them there, or country houses. And I remember when I was a child, there was um, a wild patch at the back of the houses we lived in at the time. And I've never seen one since. Wow. So when I started writing this book, I thought, I'm, I've got to include those in there. Because I always remember that they're big, long berries that were really sweet and really tasty. Oh, yeah. So I thought that's definitely worth adding into the book because it is something that's well worth growing if you have the space and time.
0: When one of the things that I've noticed about mulberries, and I've tried strawberries and boysenberries and raspberries and blueberries here in the desert, the thing about mulberries is they grow wild. You plant them and they grow and they produce prolifically, unlike some of the other berries that, you know, that I've planted. In fact, my dwarf black mulberry and my Pakistani mulberry that I have growing in the yard will produce berries for two to three months. And quite honestly, they're one of the best berries I eat.
1: I I would absolutely agree with you. There there are sort of dwarf varieties now. They used to be really, really big trees and they'd Mm -hmm. grow, you know, 30 to 50 feet tall which obviously meant for a lot of us, there just quite simply isn't the space in the garden for them. But nowadays with some of the smaller varieties, yeah, they're, they're ideally suited for the garden and really, really tasty berries. The only thing you've got to be careful with is is the berries do stain. So um, they can very easily, uh, if you get them on your clothing or on, onto mm-hmm. uh, walkways or driveways or anything like that, they can stain it. But uh, I mean, for the, the size of them, they're, they're fantastic. If you haven't got a lot of space, than a dwarf or a, a weeping variety. Oh yeah. Would be absolutely, absolutely perfect for for a garden.
0: The dwarf black mulberry that we have growing here in my yard is a dwarf berry, not a dwarf plant. And I've grown them out both as bushes and as trees in my yard. And they they make a berry about the size of a dime that is to absolutely live for. And the other one that grows here is the Pakistani mulberry. That's a three inch long one. That grows really well here the curious thing about both of them is that they don't stain
1: that's good yeah i they probably don't stain because they are the dwarf cultivated varieties some of the larger ones i, I certainly remember that you're know, getting the mulberry juice off your hands was oh, uh, yeah quite, quite quite difficult
0: yes so let's transition over to brassicas first of all share with us what a brassica is because a lot of people i don't think know
1: Right. Well, a brassica is a type of vegetable, quite, t- quite different from berries. But brassicas are a wide variety of vegetables ranging from y- your broccoli through to wasabi, through to watercress and many other different plants in between. One of the sort of least well-known brassicas is maca root. Maca root is one of the oldest known cultivated vegetables. Comes from the Andes in South America, so Peru area. And it, it's sold in powder form in your health food shops uh, at a eye-watering price because apparently it's a <laughs> super food
0: uh-huh. and
1: very, very good for you.
0: That was a maca root?
1: Maca root, yes. I think It's, I... A, it's like a little sort of um, rutabaga-type type plant. It's very small. Oh, yeah. Um, grows in really poor soil. Mm-hmm. And it can be quite difficult to grow outside of its native environment, but it's very, very re- rewarding. And like I said, if you go and buy it in a health food shop, it'll uh, it will cost you an arm and a leg.
0: Yeah, I just uh, did a quick uh, search on the internet for maca root, and it looks kind of like a parsnip or a beet. And uh, yeah. the mostly what came up were maca root extracts and, yeah, like that. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting interesting one that's uh, worth a try. But as I said, there's, there's lots and lots of members of the family. There's obviously cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, calabrese, and all those sorts of plants are, are members of the family as well.
0: We just uh, harvested a kohlrabi yesterday out of the garden. It was uh, planted by a friend of mine who came and did some planting here, and I had no idea what it was. It was the strangest looking thing when I harvested it. And I said, I think that's something we should ask about, Heidi. So I sent him a, uh, a message and that's what it came back of as kohlrabi. What do we do with it?
1: Well, the, you can grate it onto a salad or uh, my favorite use for it is I grate it into a coleslaw. Oh. And uh, eat it as part of that. It's got a slightly, I think it's got a slightly peppery taste and really, I think, adds, adds to a coleslaw. It makes it a bit more interesting.
0: Nice. So what can you tell us about growing brassicas?
1: Well, I, I can tell you that most of them, they're quite easy to grow, but they, they can be a little bit temperamental. They are absolutely loved by a wide variety of pests.
0: Um, oh, particularly yes.
1: the cabbage moth butterfly. You will find, if you do not net them, they will be covered with these caterpillars that will devour your crop. So you've got to be careful with that. You've got to be careful for club roots. That can affect a lot of them. Um, so there, there's a few bits and pieces that can affect them, but they shouldn't let you put them off because as long as you cover the plants pretty much from the time they're seedlings, as soon as you plant them outside, cover them because pigeons and other birds will actually eat the leaves off them and they will strip them bare overnight. I planted out some years ago. Uh, it must have been about forty or fifty brassica seedlings one night, and thought that's brilliant. Came back the next day, and they were just little st- sticks. Yep. Because they'd been stripped. So I, I learned after that, you, you cover them and keep them covered the entire time.
0: One of the things that I've done uh, specifically with brassicas and then on the other side, uh, lettuces and greens in general, is I plant open pollinated seeds. And I have one large garden bed in the front yard of my house that I let them go to seed. And so every year I get kale and carrots and cabbage and lettuce and there's celery. We've magically found some celery growing wild in this front garden bed so I, I found that the the brassicas do a pretty good job of replanting themselves year after year if you give them a forest garden to plant in
1: they They certainly can do, and they they do well they 're great for pollinating insects if you let some of them flower. they really do attract in the the bees and the butterflies uh, but like I said if you're in the, in an area with something like club root or whatever then that that can be a bit of a problem with letting the bees seed. but generally. Yeah, if, you, if that's, that's what you want to do, that works. I tend to harvest all mine and freeze them rather than let them seed. Sometimes I'll let one or two go to seed, mm-hmm. either so I can harvest the seed myself and use it or um, just just for the insects and uh, give them some, a bit of food.
0: One of the things we have going for y- over you guys where you're at is we're in a very hot climate. So I actually get these things growing for six or eight months a year. And, and so for us, the brassicas are cold weather crops and we grow them from September to April. But you have to cram those all in the the summer season, I would guess, right?
1: Actually, it depends on the brassicas because quite a few of them are very winter hardy. So um, things like uh, purple sprouting broccoli, for example, you plant that about now over here. And then it'll be ready to harvest from about December or January. There's cabbages and cauliflowers and kale. All, varieties of those are all very hardy and quite often will survive heavy frosts and even under snow. So there's quite a variety of, of this family that's pretty much suited for every environment. Mm-hmm. So I I grow a lot of them over winter because there's not much, much else we can grow here because it does get, it gets below freezing and lots of heavy frosts. So we we can't grow a lot of a lot else during winter, but the brassicas are quite a nice staple. You you plant them sort of late summer, and then they mature over winter, ready for sort of a late winter, early spring crop for us.
0: One of the things I noticed about kale is that it will grow for more than one year. I've got kale in the front yard right now that is two years old.
1: Yeah, I think kale kale is a fantastic plant and, and it grows really, really well. It it's a prolific grower and again there's a lot of different varieties of it that you, you could grow. But most of the kales, I believe, are perennials or biennials. So a lot of them you plant them this year and then the following year they'll flower. So and right. then of course they they reseed. The thing with a lot of the the, the brassicas is they are biennials. So if you leave them to the second year, that's when they flower and seed. But because they do reseed quite prolifically, a lot of people assume that they're perennials because they don't realize that they've seeded new plants.
0: Right. And do you know what tree kale is?
1: I have heard of tree kale. I believe it's sort of similar to normal kale, but it grows on a thicker trunk and much taller. Yeah. It's it's not not something I've seen over here, but... uh, I have heard about it and thought it was quite interesting to look into.
0: Yeah, it's it's very kale-like, but they call, also call it tree collards. They do grow easily six feet tall and they'll grow for years and, you know, like three or four or five years. And then what they do is they put out branches on the side that then starts another tree kale plant. It's really quite fascinating.
1: That sounds like something worth growing. It, it does sound interesting. And you know, it could be an ideal for, a thing for someone without a lot of space because you can grow a lot of kale vertically and, and keep it there for several years.
0: Right, exactly. You mentioned something called wind rock. What is it and what do we do about it?
1: Well, it's, it's not a music festival. We'll start by saying that. <laughs> but, but what it is, is it's probably the biggest reason why people fail when growing brassicas. A lot of brassica plants have very tiny hairs on the roots which suck up all the nutrients. And when the plants rock in even the slightest bit of wind, it breaks these hairs, which then means the plant can't suck up as many nutrients. So the general rule of thumb with any brassica plant is to firm it down, then firm it down again, and just to make sure, firm it down once more, because that it really does affect their growth. And if you're growing... Taller ones like sort of Brussels sprouts, for example, it is actually worth staking them to help reduce the amount of rock because uh, it will stunt the growth of the plants. And if the, the other alternative is to build a windbreak around them, um, either of other plants or just put some netting around them. So when you're netting your plants, you're also reducing the risk of, of wind rock as, as well. So it's,
0: it's literally the wind blowing them and damaging the plant.
1: Yeah, it, it damages these fine hairs on the roots, which affects the plant's ability to suck up you know, nutrients out of the ground. So it can't grow as big as it would otherwise grow.
0: Wow! In writing your book, again, this is a uh, this is a beautiful picture book. Over you know, not just pictures, lots of content, but lots of pictures, along with recipes throughout, which is nice. What is one of the more exciting things you found out about brassicas?
1: Oh well. What was one of the exciting things I found out about brassicas? I, I think for me, I, it was the one of the most interesting things was about the wind rock. I'd never realised mm-hmm. that, that that affected them because I've tried growing. I grew giant cabbages the other year, and um, they grow to they didn't grow to full size, but they grew to about four feet across. So they are quite big, but I I've, I didn't realise about wind rock and how it damaged the plants and. I've since realised that one area of my vegetable garden has got club root and I'm assuming that's from where the people that used it before me grew brassicas in that place year after year after year. So I've sort of rotated the crop around and they they grew a lot better last year. I had a fantastic crop of them Um, and I did did net them and put up windbreaks and that really seemed to help the plants uh, grow and that was to me, probably one of the most interesting things I realized, because like I said, I'd never realized how much of a problem this was causing me growing uh, brassicas successfully.
0: Yeah. Well, so in looking through your book, the curious thing for me is what a brassica is. I always knew cabbage and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. I didn't know arugula. Well, cauliflower, I knew. I'm just thumbing through the book not right now. Radishes. Yeah. Collard yeah. greens daikon radishes, they're, they're, this family, garden crests, this family is a lot bigger than I expected it to be.
1: There, there's an awful lot more plants in it than I thought. There's, you know, Obviously, we've talked about some of the more common and more popular cultivated varieties there, but there's thousands of other plants that we haven't talked about. Um, common weeds, for example, there's quite a few of those are members of the brassica family, and there's ornamental plants as well. Uh, you get ornamental kale and cabbages, which people plant uh, purely to look at. But yeah, there's there's an awful lot of, lot of members. Because obviously you've got the cruciferous veg, like your broccoli and calabrese yep. and things like that. But then you've got all the other plants, like, you say, radish, watercress, wasabi, horseradish, all things like that, which you wouldn't have thought of as uh, being in the family. And there's quite a few leaves as well, like tatsoi and
0: watercress. mitsuna. Watercress.
1: Watercress, yeah, they're, they're all members of the same family, and so actually suffer from some of the, some of the same diseases.
0: Wow, interesting! So there's lots to be learned in growing brassicas. Your guide to growing cruciferous vegetables from. Cabbage to Kale and everything in between from Jason Johns. Plus, the first book we talked about was Berry Gardening, the complete guide to growing berries from boysenberries to gooseberries and more. These are amazing books. I guess in the US, the best place to find them is?
1: It's Amazon. Amazon. You can get all of my books on Amazon. You can get them in ebook format and paperback format. And if you buy the paperback and you don't want to wait for delivery, you get the ebook as well for free. So you can start reading it immediately while you're waiting for the book to wing its way to your home.
0: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And we do live in interesting times. That's some kind of old uh, Asian adage, I think. What are you doing in these interesting times to kind of get through being stuck at home and staying sane?
1: Well, so far, I've renovated part of the garden, turned it into a sort of Mediterranean seating area. So I've put tiles down, painted the walls, and created this nice area so we can sit outside, socially distant from people, and enjoy the sort of spring weather. I've... um, planted up lots of one One of the things I like to eat when the weather warms is I like to eat salad and we're not meant to go out very often so salad doesn't keep in your fridge for very long oh yeah so I don't want don't want to go out every couple of days to get fresh salad so I'm um, every week I'm planting a new pot of salad leaves oh. and they're all cut and cut and come again crops so I just yep. pull, pull the outside leaves off and I've got I'll have plenty of those throughout the summer I've planted all my brassica seedlings I've planted some sunflower seedlings i've put some guttering up on the wall i have a very sunny wall i put some guttering up on there and planted it with strawberry runners so i should get lots of fruit off those this year i've planted up pots and pots of herbs so again very fragrant
0: you've been busy Uh,
1: yeah i've got lots of flowers coming up as well all of which will go into my flower garden for the pollinating insects So, yeah, I've I've been keeping myself out of trouble. And in between that, I found the odd moment to to write.
0: (laughs) Prolifically, thank you very much. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us again on the show today, Jason. We always appreciate having you.
1: My my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. As always, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, be with you.
0: Oh, amen to that. How can our listeners find you?
1: It's very easy to find me if you go to gardeningwithjason.com. You can find me on there. You can contact me through the website. All my books are listed there. And you can connect with me on social media through the links at the top of my website as well.
0: And for those of you in the United States and Canada, the best place to get the book, easiest place to get the books is Amazon.
1: Amazon Amazon.com. Yeah, they're all listed on there. Um, Very easy to find.
0: Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash johnsberries. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.